Morning. So today we are um, finishing the Sunday part of our Lenten series that we've entitled Journey to the Cross. Um, This has been a series where we've tried to go a little deeper with some of the final events uh, around Jesus' life in the last hours, in the last day before his crucifixion. Um, And today we're going to continue an invitation that we've given every Sunday. And the invitation that we've given every Sunday through different scripture or different passages is we've invited you to do two things. We've invited you first to reflect, reflect on your life, reflect on the decisions you make, the behaviors you have, the patterns. Uh, Lots of us have a lot of patterns that we just kind of, how we live life and what we do in school and what we do in work and what we do with our friends that we don't even see as choices anymore. But they are. They are lots of choices we make every day, and we've got to see them, see the decisions we make. And secondly, we don't just reflect, but we're called to repent. That's been the other thing we've invited you to do. And repentance can have sometimes a negative connotation, or it seems like it's motivated by guilt or shame, or I feel bad about this, so I should just feel bad about it. But repentance is not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's about an action. Repenting is an action word. It's about turning and moving in a new direction. Okay, so we're supposed to reflect on our decisions or on our lives, and then to realize there are certain places where God's going to say, I actually want you to live differently. I want you to have a different pattern. I want you to move in a different direction. And it's not because you should feel guilty, and it's not because you should feel ashamed uh, or embarrassed. It's because I want you to have an abundant life. And friends, one of the great temptations, and we're going to talk about this a bit today, is that we think that the abundant good life comes when we're the ones who are in charge of how things work. I know how my life should be. I know the decisions I should make. I know everything about how the world should work. If it only worked more the way I thought it should be, then the world would be a much better place, and I just don't get why people don't see it the same way I do. But what we believe is that a life of purpose and abundance and joy that God wants us to have comes not when we are the captains of our own ship, but rather when we are following Jesus, that, he, that we become caught up in a bigger story than anything we can write, and that we become a part of a life that is about God's mission in the world and the eternal things God's doing in the world that we get to be a part of in our lives and our friendships and our marriages and our neighborhoods and our schools and our places of work when we're in Belize, when, any of that, that, we're just kind of part of what God's doing in the world. And it's all about him, not about us and our decisions of what we think life should look like. So today we're going to continue that process. And we will continue this journey to the cross through worship this week. And I hope you'll join us in the worship services each and every day this week as we continue this journey to the foot of the cross. That this Holy Week wouldn't be a time when we would just pass by and acknowledge it's there and get to Easter but that we would stop and bend a knee and worship and journey with Jesus throughout this week. It's so important we do that, okay? So the scripture passage we're looking at today because it's Palm Sunday um, is a a couple of chapters earlier in Luke. It's in Luke 19, uh, and so Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the final week of his life, the week leading up to the Passover, And this is what it says, Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. After he, Jesus, after he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. 
So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? You could see there, why are you untying my colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would encounter each and every one of us today with your living word and your message of abundant life. We pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to follow. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to do something today that there has been a part of me that has said, don't do this thing, okay, because it's Palm Sunday, right? And Palm Sunday is one of those Sundays of the year when there's a lot of traditions, and we kind of know what those traditions are, right? Um, We have palm branches, and we wave them, and the music's fun, and it's glorious, and uh, there's kind of these great things that we do, and um, I just need you to know, Palm Sunday is one of the most uncomfortable Sundays of the year for me. I, I, I always find it to be so. It is one of the most uncomfortable Sundays for me. And I actually think it's supposed to be. And I think our traditions at time can kind of rob us of the discomfort that we're supposed to feel. Because in this story, we all encounter something that is one of the most difficult things to encounter. And I want to invite us today to, to not just sort of have the celebration as Palm Sunday and we got the branches and we wave them and it's fun. I want us to actually move into the discomfort of what Palm Sunday is about. Because in Palm Sunday, we see something that every one of us, if we were honest, would say, I wish that wasn't true. Okay? And what we encounter is this. We encounter the idea and the truth that the God we want and the God we get are not always the same thing. We encounter on Palm Sunday that the God we want and the God we get are not always the same thing. And that is one of the hardest things in life to encounter. Because it would be so much easier if that wasn't true, right? It'd be so much easier if all we said is people are celebrating and it's a great thing and God's finally come to do a great thing among them because they've had hard times. And so get ready because God's going to do great things to them and you've had hard times and God's going to do great things to you and it's going to be just finally the way that you want it to be. That would be a great message. It would be disingenuous. Because the people, the crowd in this Palm Sunday story, are very certain of what God should do. They really know what it is God should do. But the God they get, the Messiah they get in Jesus, is not in alignment with the God they want. And you and I have to confront the same thing in our own walks from time to time. And it's important that we're able to do so. It's important that church is in a place where we just kind of have bumper sticker theology of God won't give you anything more than you can handle, which I don't know where that comes from. It's it's bad theology, right? It's like we have these little lines that make us feel better. And then it's like, especially in church, there's this idea of, you know, so 
this is the place where we kind of have these lines, and it's always positive, and, and, and we, we rarely feel the permission to go to that place where you're like, I just, that's just hard and ugly and scary and disappointing, and I don't know that what God's doing in that, and I actually need to go to that. Church is not the place where we often go to those things. It's the place where we're like, it's going to be good, right? And it is going to be good. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not, but I think Palm Sunday actually, if we were honest, encourages us to go to that place where it's like, that's just kind of hard, and we've got to sit there for a little while, okay? Because the God we want, who fixes it all, and the God we get, Palm Sunday is one of those places where it's not the same thing. Now, what do I mean? To get this, to understand this, you have to understand the symbolism that's taking place in the story. There's a lot of symbolism. Some of the symbols that are going place for the crowd is that they are chanting uh, and and, and laying their cloaks on the ground before Jesus as he enters in to Jerusalem from this gate from the Mount of Olives. There's a ton of symbolism in this because the prophet said that, um, that that, that the people will be delivered. They'll be delivered by a Messiah king who will come in. And this is the time of year when it should happen. The people are all gathered in Jerusalem and Jesus is coming for the Passover. Well, this is the first symbol. The Passover is not just, hey, it's kind of a fun occasion when we get together. The Passover was the celebration of the people remembering that they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years and that God, after 400 years, had brought them through the Red Sea, miraculously delivered them from slavery. They were celebrating freedom and God's faithfulness to bring them to freedom. That's why they're there. And friends, they are ready to celebrate that again. Not at the hands of the Egyptians, but at the hands of the Romans. They live under a brutal military dictatorship. The Rome, Romans controlled so much of the known world, including Jerusalem. And the Romans ruled by brute force and strength. They weren't the nicest people, right? They weren't the culture. The reason they ruled was not because other cultures looked at them and goes, oh my gosh, you guys are so nice. Come and rule us. We would love, our world would be so better if you were here. They came in and they ruled with violence, It was merciless, and the people had no say. All the things you and I assume about life of, well, there's a a trial, and I get to prove my case, and I get to be heard by a jury, none existed. You didn't have that power. You didn't have that privilege. Well, I taxes, and I get to decide how they're going to be used, and this candidate, nothing. You got no say in this. You were raising your kids. You were growing up. You were living in a place of violence and oppression that was around you every single day. And so this is the Passover. They are ready to be delivered again. And they gather at the gate, right where the Mount of Olives, where the prophets say that the Messiah will come in to deliver the people. And Jesus comes riding in. I mean, Jesus isn't denying this symbolism. There's like 10 other gates that he could have chosen to enter Jerusalem for the Passover. He doesn't go through them. He goes straight through the one that he knows the prophets are saying, the Messiah will come here and come in this way. The people are are, are waving palm branches and they're laying their cloaks on the ground and those have some symbols. The cloaks were a sign of humility. The palm branches that some of you guys have that you're waving, those are um, uh, signs of, of of Jewish national pride and national strength and might. It's like waving, like for us, we wave the American flag. It's like the symbol for us of this is our, you know, this is our country. And they're chanting and they're singing this psalm, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a psalm, Psalm 118, and it wasn't just any old psalm. It wasn't like they just picked their favorite one. It's like, oh, let's sing that one this time. This was a psalm that was sung when a conquering military leader who had won a battle returned to Jerusalem victorious. 
You've got to see this because the people are really clear that Jesus is the Messiah and they know what the Messiah is going to do. The Messiah is going to do for us what, the Messiah, what God did for the slaves in Egypt 400 years ago. We are going to be delivered. And I need you to hear that wasn't like a fickle little prayer request, right? If you and I had been there at the time, everything in us would have chanted for the same thing because life was so hard. We wouldn't have been any different, I don't think. Into all this, Jesus comes, and again, he engages these symbols. He comes into the right gate. He, you know, I mean, there's all this stuff going on. The Pharisees say, tell the people to quit shouting the psalm, Psalm 118, the psalm of national triumph. He's like, no. No, it's right that they should sing it. I mean, Jesus is not shying away from what's going on here. But in the midst of all these symbols, there's one symbol that doesn't match up with what the crowd wants, and it's the animal that Jesus is riding on. You see, everyone knew that a conquering military hero came in showing their strength by riding a horse, a mighty animal showing strength. And this one symbol is out of alignment with everything the people are chanting about because Jesus doesn't come in riding a horse. He comes in riding a colt, a sign of humility and meekness. And the people are so fixated on the God they want that they miss it. They miss it. I wonder how often that happens to you. I know it happens to me. To understand this, I want you to do an exercise real quick. It's an exercise where I want you to go in your mind to the really obvious thing that God should be doing, right? I mean, the people's request that Rome be overthrown was not, it was a real thing. It was, a, it, was, it was what we would pray for. I want you to go to that thing. What's the thing in your life, in your family, in your friendships, in our city, in our world, that you just look at going, God, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but why don't you fix that? Like, I, I, yeah, I like the chanting and the, but there's this thing here. There's this struggle. There's this pain. There's this, there's this thing that is just like eating away at me. And I, why don't you do something about that? It seems so clear that you should. I want you to think about that thing. I want you to hold it out there. I want church not to be the place where we just sort of sing and, and ignore the pain and, and lift up our hands and then leave. I want you to imagine today that that while we know God is here in spirit, I want you to imagine that Jesus walked in here today, like literally walked into this room and came up to you and you're like, oh my gosh, you're finally here. I've been waiting. Here's this thing. Here it is. It's, it's the no-brainer of the century of what you should do to fix and heal this thing. And Jesus looked at you and said, I see it, but I'm not here to do that. That's what the people encounter. That's what Palm Sunday can let you sit in for a while. It's not just, and, and that's the part that me that's going, just go with the branches. It, everyone's happy. It's a happy Sunday. Just do this and smile and no, no. No, I'm always uncomfortable with this because the God we want and know should be and the God we get are not always the same thing and that's one of the hardest lessons in life. What are those places for you? 
What are those places that you might be embarrassed to stand up here and talk about publicly? You might seem silly, it might seem shameful. What's the thing that's just this hard place in life that if you were really honest, you're like, God, why don't you do something with this? Church needs to be a place where we journey in that stuff together, not where we act like it's not there. Because we've all got them. We've all got this pain in these hard places. When I go there, one of the places I have to go is something that I don't talk about publicly very much. And I don't, talk, I don't avoid talking about it because I'm embarrassed or ashamed or anything else. I don't talk about it because anytime you talk about a struggle that you're in or that you've had that other people might be sharing, you don't want to seem like you're imposing your story on them. Does that make sense? Like, th- this is a story about Beth and my journey in infertility, which is a really painful thing. And I know some of you in this room are journeying in that right now or have. I know some of you have family or friends who are. And I in no way want my journey with this to feel like it tells people what your experience is like. Does that make sense? I can tell what my experience with it is, but your experience, I'm not trying to speak for any of you in this. But our journey through infertility was one of, if not the first place in my life where I was confronted with this really hard idea. Because up until we had tried to have children, Beth and my life was pretty good. Like, to be honest. Like, like, like look at, just look at it. Okay, because I like talking about it. There was this, there was this girl from Wales and this guy from Atlanta uh, in the United States who both graduated from college went and lived in these little fishing villages in Japan where they lived for two years. They met. I came to faith in Jesus through a house church while I was over there. We got married. She's kind of incredible and way out of my league, and yet it worked out. We got married in a Welsh castle, for crying out loud. We actually did. I mean, there's just like this like whole thing, and people are like, really? And you're like, yeah, it's kind of our life. People, people looked at us, and, and we went to seminary, and things went well, and we got jobs after seminary. We worked on the same staff at the same church, and we had these like fruitful ministries, and, and, and people, kind of, they did, people looked at us it's like, God, man, you guys, like, things are really working out. You're like, I know. Like, they really are. I mean, things are going really well. And the next thing on the line, right, we got our degrees, we got married, we have our white picket fence, and everything's going well, and they got the good Christmas cards, and people are jealous, and that makes we're successful, and everything else. And then the next thing is like, and now it's time to start a family, right? It's time to start a family. That's the next thing. And it should just work out. And it didn't for months, and then for years. And you see doctors, and you see specialists, and they say, we're not certain anything can happen. We're not certain we can help you. And the uncertainty goes on for months, and it goes on for years. And it's this thing that you're going, why don't you fix this? Why don't you do something about it? I mean, I feel like we'd be good parents we, we worked in a church that, like Covenant, there were a lot of young families there, and there were babies being born. People always used to say stuff like, must be something in the water. People are just getting married and having babies all over the place. And it was like a knife going through you every time you hear that. Because, like, I don't know what water I'm drinking from, but it's not the same thing everybody else is. For years, we struggled with this. And I had to start living, and I chose to start living this dual life where I was the pastor who talked about God's faithfulness and God can be trusted and everything else, and there was this public part, and then there was this private part that was like really angry and really confused and really disappointed with God of like, I'm not asking to win the lottery and never work again. I get that that's a self-centered prayer request. How can you do this? How if you love us, is this the journey we're on? I mean, what did we do 
for this to be our path. It was really, really, really hard. And as many of you know, after years and years and years, we were able to have two children. I don't like sharing this because I don't like the idea of like, so it all worked out and everything was okay at the end, right? I don't like this being one of those stories where like, gosh, it was really hard, but God taught me some stuff through it, and I'm appreciative of it. I'm not appreciative of it. I'm not thankful for it. I'm not grateful for it. I'm not happy that it happened. Maybe I should be, but I'm not. But here's what I also know. I also know that while I was in this place of why don't you love us and why don't you care and why wouldn't you fix this, this seems so natural. Why are you causing the strain on our marriage? Why is this all happening? I can tell you and look back and say, God wasn't absent in that time. Does that make it better? Nope. But I can tell you that God was not absent in that time. God rescued me from a number of different things that I didn't see in that time. God rescued me from a life that was spent just moving from one success story to the next. Because you know what happens when life's just about, well, I gotta get the right SAT score, and I gotta get into college, and I gotta get the right job, and I'm gonna marry the right person, and I'm gonna have, do you know what happens in that? You lose the miracle of each stage of the journey. You lose the miracle that every life is miraculous. Everything just becomes entitled to you and ordered up of how it's supposed to be. And it was in that time that the Lord goes, no, it's not just handed to you this way. No, this is actually a miraculous thing that you need to sit in. It taught me about the power of community. See, we don't just talk about covenant groups here and we hammer away at doing life together because it's some theory that I like or it's something about how to grow the church. I was dying in this figurehead role of a pastor who had a personal life where you were struggling with things, but I learned through this journey and I learned that I could let people in, even as a leader in the church and even as a pastor, to let people into that pain and let people into that disappointment and let people into that anger at God. I could let people into that and I could have a holistic existence. As a pastor who was transparent and authentic and honest, I allowed people to come and pray with me and walk with me and and verbalize the stuff that I was really feeling to people. We don't talk about covenant groups. We don't talk about life together because it's a theory that will make your life better. I have experienced the power of people who can't fix your life walking and loving you and being faithful to you in the process. And friends, it changes everything. God rescued me from so much just as God was rescuing the people who cried out for him as he entered Jerusalem. No, he wasn't the God they wanted. He wasn't there to overthrow Rome. He was over there to do so much more, to confront brokenness and sin and evil in the world, not just for Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but for all people and all time. God was doing more than they could ask or imagine. But the God they wanted and the God they got were not the same thing. Listen to me. No matter who you are, no matter what that thing is in your life, God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. God is not paying attention to somebody else who's lived a better life than you. God is not punishing you for anything that you have done wrong. Even when we can't see the 
good news of Palm Sunday is that while God's not the God they want, he is God working miracles. And he is faithful to you today. You may not be able to see it right now, but allow yourself the faith to believe that as God was faithful to the people, as God has been faithful to me, God is faithful to you as well. So this week, reflect on that. Don't wander away from this thing, this hardship, this difficulty. Hold it out. Hold it out. Reflect on it. And you may even need to repent. You may need to repent, not of crying out to God about it, not about blaming it. God wants to know the pain. God wants to hear the cries of your heart. God wants honesty with you. But every single one of us makes the subtle move that the crowd moves from when we sit there and go, God, this is my prayer. Why don't you do something with this? To making this subtle move to, and here's the answer. That we do need to repent of. That we do need to sit there and, 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 and release to God and just go, I just trust you in this. I trust that you are at work, and I trust that I will see it in your timing. Friends, this week, continue on this journey. The God you want and the God you get may not be exactly the same thing, but that God loves you and will never let you go. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand together and we're going to sing one last song to declare this with one voice as we go. Father, we ask for the faith to believe that this is true even for us because we have parts of us that are just sad and hurting and painful and difficult. And this week, may we hold them out to you. And may we have the courage and faith to believe that you are at work in every one of our lives and in every situation that causes us pain. Help us to see this week. Help us to be open to seeing with new eyes what you are doing. This is one of the hardest things we've been called to do and yet is one of the most important because your goodness and faithfulness to us is real. It's real for all of us today. Sweep us off our feet in that hope that can only come from you. The God of angel armies who is always by our side.